I don't make music and say, oh, this is going to be a hit. I hated Golden. What? I hated it. I was mad. I was mad when I was in the studio that day and I heard the music and I just started writing it and I wrote it with a heavy hand because I was mad. It wasn't, I'm taking my freedom. It wasn't that. It was, I'm taking my freedom. <laughs> it was that. I was growling. I was pissed. Brothers and sisters, my name is Kirk Franklin. And I come to give you good words. Let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, I am grinning ear to ear. I'm blushing as a black man. <laughs> I'm turning red even though I'm I'm a dark-skinned brother because I've got just Man, I got beauty in the building. I've got elegance in the building. I've got classiness, sexiness, charm, wisdom, flavor, light, and every other type of adjective that you can even pull out right now because this young lady right here is a, yeah, she's a platinum artist, Grammy winner, New York Times bestselling poet. She's critically acclaimed. She's an actress. And she's really got chops. Like, if you've ever seen her do her thing as an actress, it's like, wait a minute, is this a thespian I'm looking at? Is this, what is, what is, what is happening? And then she's got a podcast. I mean, if you have not had the pleasure of watching her sing live, you're dead. That's right, that's right. You are deceased. You are gone. I'm talking to you now, and you are in the sweet by and by, if you have not heard this woman sing live. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our Renaissance woman, Brothers and sisters, Jill Scott. You know all I have for that, which it, which was an extraordinary intro. All I got intro, is intro. <laughs> 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 Oh my God. Thank you very much. Hi. Queen. It's good to see you. Ladies and gentlemen, I will never forget. It was over 20 years ago and I was working on a soundtrack for um, a movie called Kingdom Come. And I was a part of um, this Christmas event that Stevie Wonder was doing. And there was a brand new artist and she had just put her first single out and we were all going crazy about the single and we were all just in awe of her elegance and her flavor and her style. And some kind of way during sound check, I walked up to her and I was like, uh, excuse me, ma'am, my, my name, name is uh, Kirk Franklin and I, uh, I have a soundtrack I'm working on right now and I've got a song and I don't know if you're busy any time today. If you have any time, could you maybe just stop by the stage? And she was like, shut up. <laughs> and, and about three hours later, she came through the studio we couldn't believe that she pulled up the way she did. And there was nothing left in the studio when she finished. It was quick. It was crazy. It was scary. And I knew at that very moment, okay, this is going to be around for a long time. This is going to be a problem. This is going to be something that we've got to deal with. We've got to address Jill Scott. When I walked up to you and asked you, would you jump on this song? Did you feel like that was a little pretentious of me to just roll up on you like that? Like, how did that make you feel? That didn't come off as pretentious at, at all. You and your wife were smiling at me so hard. <laughs> and I could feel that it was genuine. I don't know if you remember, but I came over to you. 
I think we met each other halfway or something, friend, because really? I was like, whatever that vibe is, it's all right by me. Hello. Hi. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, it wasn't hard. I don't recall ever thinking anything, anything at all. I was like, yes, I'll, I'll do it. Now, wow. that night when we shot Smile, wow. I don't know if you remember this. We never really had a chance to talk about that. But that night, I can't remember where we were. But I was in Atlanta and I had my little mm -hmm. person with me. He must have mm -hmm. been about maybe about maybe 17 months or so. Yeah, he, he, was him, him was little then. And yeah. um, you said, I'm shooting a video for this song called Smile. I'm shooting it tonight. Uh -huh. And can you come through? And I was like, mm. <laughs> we had been to an award show most of the day. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. And I decided to go. And I, yes, I took my did. little person. And all I could do. All I could do was cry. I remember. The whole video. Every, it was like yeah. smile and all I could do was cry. Which was so powerful to me. It was so powerful. <laughs> it was so powerful to me. I'm like, all this man is asking for me to do. Everybody else is smiling. <laughs> Why are you crying? But that's all I could do. It was powerful. That's the only energy I had was to cry. Like, I don't know. It was, what were I was the tears? overwhelmed. What were the tears at that moment? It was overwhelmed. I was overwhelmed by it all. Mm. The the award show, I, probably, I think I probably won something that night. I think I may have performed as well. Uh, I borrowed some diamonds and the people came and took diamonds off my <laughs> neck before I got out the building. I was like, <laughs> like <laughs> you know, <laughs> this, this whole humbling moment, like it was, a, it was a lot. And then I had this little person Mm. who just wanted to be wherever I was. So even yeah. that little thing, you know, was was trying to smile. I think we both were crying. It was like 3 o'clock in the morning trying to, uh, you know, shoot a video. I wow. said, I, this is all I have. And, I remember. Yep. This is all I have. I'm here, but this is what you're getting. Well, you know, I think that what is so powerful about your transparency and your level of just vulnerability is that the juxtaposition of tears in the middle of a song talking about smile is that it's just a reflection that the pursuit of happiness is not absent of the realities of sometimes the pain or the hurt is that a lot of times they they coexist at the same time and that's what makes us uniquely human right is is that it's that we are waiting man is i can't wait until the the joy comes or it's is i can't wait until good times come it's like no most of life is this dance and this waltz of both of them at the same time happening and us making the choice of who we're going to dance with, right? Come on. And so seeing you in that video, ladies and gentlemen, go watch the I Smile video. And if you watch Jill, Jill with this big old beautiful smile is holding this beautiful little human and tears are coming down her face. And I think that it was the most powerful testimony of what happiness at times has to be. Jill, when did you realize you could sing? Wow. Honestly, okay. When I knew it was true, I was at a party uh, with some friends, and I had been doing way too much. I had a job, huh? Okay, I had a job. And I came outside of this house, and everybody was sleeping. It was like just about when the sun was coming up. And... I just, I don't know, I just felt it in my spirit. It could have been, you know, a little uh, 
intoxicated. <laughs> I could have been. I don't know. <laughs> I allow these things. I'm human. So I, I just started singing to the trees and singing, and all the little animals came out. <sighs> little rabbits and birds and squirrels, and they were coming, like, from every direction. So I continued to sing, and then some drunk doo-doo head walks outside the door. He was like, do you see what's happening? And everybody took off. And I was like... <laughs> Are you serious? That was confirmation for me. You were singing to the little birdies. I didn't know who I was singing to. I was just singing. It's grateful. Grateful to be alive. You know what I'm saying? That's why you sing. Well, holy Hennessy. I tell you what. (laughs) Now, you have many bullets in your gun, right? It's singing. It's acting. It's writing. What bullet do you like to shoot most? It's the writing for me. Really? Yeah. It's the writing for me, that thing. Singing is something that I didn't choose. It just chose me. But writing is what I always chose for myself. You know, like I I can't not sing. It's like, (laughs) I I can't even imagine. It's just kind of innate. It's what I was born to do. I have to ask you, you know, as a, and I guess I would, take a chance and maybe try to call myself a songwriter. <laughs> I uh, I can be honest and say that songwriting for me becomes more and more of this interesting type of territory because, you know, when you start to write music for your records and then everything is built on what the next single is, what the next song is, I have found times where writing has often been very difficult for me to just enjoy because it's always connected to the business of it. How do you enjoy writing still and not get caught up in, okay, this is not a single, this is not a this, this is not a that. How did you learn how to guard and protect your baby while at the same time you had to share your baby in a system that was not always conducive to your baby? Well, what I've learned along the road is that everybody has a gig, everybody has a job, and you have to surround yourself with people who feel you, understand you, is what I mean, that truly understand you. And um, you ask for their insight Mm -hmm. because that's not my job. You know, Mm -hmm. I don't make music and say, oh, this is going to be a hit. Mm -hmm. I hated Golden. I hated what? it. What? I was I was mad. I was mad when I was in the studio that day and I heard the music and I just started writing it and I wrote it with a heavy hand because I was mad. It wasn't, I'm taking my freedom. It wasn't that. It was, I'm taking my freedom. <laughs> it was that. I was growling. I was pissed. Wow. You know? And, you know, so every time I heard it, I thought about how upset I was. And then, you know, then other people heard it and they felt free and released. And and I was like, okay, you know, but that wasn't my choice. That's not my gig. You know, I make the music and I take as long as I need to take to make music. And I share it when I'm ready, you know, um, with the people that I trust. And then they'll put together an album for me. Mm. And I'm okay with that because I'm too close. Yeah. I love it too much. 
Yes. So yes. I'll I'll make choices. I've I've seen myself do it a couple of times where I'm like, ah, uh, you know, I probably should have had somebody else's ears on this, you know. Mm, mm, so mm. I, I let my so. uh, small group make a consensus. That 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 is very very encouraging because I fail at that a lot. I'm not gonna lie to you. And so knowing that you have kind of developed a system. Do you use that same system when you're acting? Do you use the same system when you're doing all these other incredible things that you do? Like, how do you determine what's the part you're going to play? How do you determine when you choose a script? What do you do in your process when you're trying to figure out your what's next since you have just this gravity of talents? Wow, thank you again. Um, I wish that it was some... <laughs> I, I wish it was some magic recipe or or a recipe that I have. When it comes to scripts, it, it depends on what I read and where I am and what I think the world might need at this moment. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm I'm an actor's actor. I'm, I'm a director's actor. Ooh. I really love to be directed. Mm. It tells me how to feel, and I allow myself to do that. Yeah, it tells yeah. me um, where to be, and I allow myself to be alive in wherever I am. That's my job, to be alive inside of the direction. Mm. And that is exhilarating for me. That's a job that I chose. Like, I love it. But I, I also really love to be directed. So it depends on the director as well, I've learned. And um, the script, the writing, because, again, this writing is very important to me. So where's that? And um, the rest is the rest. Have you ever worked with a director that you couldn't do that with? Like that you couldn't trust them in that way? Many times. Share that with us. For me, it's been a lesson. You know, there has to be a mutual respect there. Okay. You know, um, okay. an actor and director. And you just learn from those experiences and do something different and work with different kinds of people and, and try to get a vibe off of them from the gate. And quite frankly, your your spirit will ring bells. You'll know. You you will definitely know. How did you pull then from your own bag or from your own well to be able to get what you need to complete that character when the director didn't give it to you? I did extra work. To me, I feel like that's extra, you know, where mm -hmm. I have to, I have to touch the lighting, <laughs> you mm. know, I have to have a side mm. relationship <laughs> with the cameraman, you know, mm. I, that I have to have a side relationship with makeup and, and hair and, uh -huh. but I prefer uh -huh. to be guided by the word and by the director, you know, so those times I end up feeling really overworked mm. and I, that's not, I'm not a fan. Your range is so iconic, though, sis. Did you have any kind of training to get your voice where it is now? Um, I'll say that I had some operatic training, particularly in high school. A guy who gave me the blues. Oh, he, he was mean with his words. He was harsh with his words. But how he taught me to listen to every word like the words matter so much to me. It's tough because I, I think of myself as a writer first before I think of myself as a singer. Really? Um, I do. 
I do, because if I don't have anything to say, there's nothing for me to sing. I'm that kind of bird. I need, I need the words to matter. When did you start writing? I got my little feelings hurt by some ashy-kneed boy. <laughs> and uh, I didn't know what to do with that, so I started writing. And I shared really? it with some girlfriends, and they were like, that's good. I said, it is? Because you know, I had read uh, a lot of Nikki Giovanni and Sonia Sanchez when I was coming up, kind of by accident. I kind of just uh-huh. found them. My English teacher gave me an assignment and was like, pick a name on this list and you can write about whoever you want. And I picked Nikki Giovanni. I thought she was like an Italian woman. And I found out that she was this brilliant poet that could paint people on paper. And I got excited. I, I started thinking about writing, but I didn't write until I, I was feeling something that I couldn't quite shake, you know? How old were you when you started writing about that little ashy boy? 19, I think. Yeah, 19. Do you remember any of the lyrics? Oh, whoa. I have to think about that. Well, Because I was mad. <laughs> I was so mad. The audacity. Not, yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Like, how could you? I, wow, would you? And I, I don't promise remember you, the poem. I promise you now he's an ashy man. Well, he's an ashy, ashy man. He's all right. Speaking of work, I do want to talk about work ethic because for you to have all of these gifts and for us as fans, they all have a level of maturity. But when I think of you, I don't see any of these areas we're talking about where there's a deficiency in one. It's, it's almost like they're all friends and neighbors and relatives that you just walk out of these rooms with such a level of fluidity. But my question to you is, where does that level of work ethic come from where you were able to give each baby, meaning your gifts, that you were able to give each baby the same amount of nutrition that when we see them publicly, they all look healthy, like, you know, they are ready to come off the bench at any time the coach calls. Oh, thank you. Um, I think it's really important that you cultivate your personal life, that you have a good tribe of people around you. Tribes take time, but they're worth it. Having people that you respect, people that love each other. Um, I think it's super important to be around happy couples, you know, people mm. that still kiss with their eyes closed, mm. you know, those kind mm. of couples that mm. laugh together and clown on each other. And, you know, kids that are um, that are awake and aware and alive and cool and funny and thoughtful and sensitive, you know, mm. all of themselves, like people that are all of themselves. It's um, so hard to find what you're talking about, though. It's not. You just Schoolers. have to make space. You have to, okay. you have to get rid of some people. And with love, you got to let them go. And you do not have to announce your departure. Say that one more time for the people in the back. I said that it's not hard to find a tribe of people that support you and love you for who you are and love themselves. It's not hard. You just have to make space. You have to get rid of some folks. And you do not have to announce your departure. It does not have to be some long-winded going back and forth. But why? I don't understand you don't have to understand. You, you do you not. Just don't. You do not have to announce your departure. Okay? And we're going to let that breathe just for a second. Well, that yeah. is the thing that feeds everything else. 
It feeds the music, love and tribe and genuine people. It feeds everything. So when I come as an actor, you know, you got to know I'm scared. I'm like terrified every time because it means something to me. You know, mm. I, I don't know what's going to happen, but I, you know, I do the best that I can. And all of that is is fuel and it's confidence you know, because the world will say a lot of things about you. The world will really try to pick you apart. Um, I'm not a fan of that. I don't, I don't believe in being picked yeah. apart into pieces. Yeah. I don't. Amen. So I go where where the love is and where what feeds me and makes me strong. Amen. And these are all things that I really enjoy doing. So you put that kind of energy into writing a song, people can feel it. You put that kind of energy into a character that you may not even like that person. Mm. You know, but... They're a person, and you have the privilege of being that guy. Mm. How mm. often do you get to be somebody else? You know, like it's it's a privilege because this is a reflection of other people. The writers are not writing it for nothing. It yeah. comes from somewhere. Yeah, you know. So that's that, and then uh, acting, singing, um, and the writing too. You know, my family, my sweet loving family. They get out of my face. They go somewhere. Mean? They mean? get out of my face. They don't. They don't crowd me. They're not like. <laughs> oh, got you, got you, know? you got you. <laughs> yeah, they leave me alone. They give me space, and I love that about them. And it's never too much. It's never not enough. I'm like, thanks. And they come in with that good stuff, with those nice feelings and the, the love and the laughter and you know the dancing in the kitchen, you know, yeah. <laughs> like all of yeah, those man. things. Like I have to tell you. Kirk, this is my absolute favorite life. This this one. This one wow. is it. I've learned so much about myself and about what I need um, as a person, as a human being. I get it. I'm like, okay. Okay. So, you know, this is my favorite. I don't know about the other ones. I don't know nothing about I, no other life. But I have to ask sure you this like because this people, people are going to mm. want to know. Help somebody listening, though, Jill. What do people need to do to persevere through the life that they have now to get to this space of life that you're discussing? Because we've watched you for over 20 years. And so you've been on our radar now for at least, what is it, about 23, 24 years? About so, 22. Okay, 22, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's my math was mathing. <laughs> my math was mathing. Um, help somebody right now who is listening to a celebrity, a star, somebody whose music has gotten them through the difficult times. And we're going to talk about that first album in a minute. Iconic. When you say that you're living your best life now, how do people hang in there? And what are the tools needed to get to, because so many people are not getting even through the now. These are some of the most darkest, difficult times post-pandemic and all of the socioeconomic disparity that people face every day, marriages, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Jill, help us by giving us a snapshot of how you did it. The one is definitely getting rid of some people that do not serve your life. You know, that's one for sure. Two is really, I try my best to honor how I feel. Like it's happening. You know, if you're sad, you can't make excuses for that. You have to allow yourself to be sad. You're like, oh, but I got a life. I got to go to work. I got kids. 
and you have time to sit and, and scroll, mm. sit, cry. Mm. Sit, so go find a tree and sit under it. I'm so serious. No, I know I'm you are. I'm so serious. Put your feet in some grass somewhere. If you got to catch a bus or or take a train or whatever, just to put your feet in some grass, like you have to honor the fact that you're angry or that you feel betrayed or that you're, you know, you're scared. You, the, all of those things are real. You can't just skip over stuff. You got to move through it. <sighs> That's how you get to the other side. There's no easy way. There's no mountain you climb over it. Can't dig under it. Can't, you know, you have to go through all of your stuff. And and I think that that's the only way to, to, to find peace of mind. With that, we're going to take a quick break. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters, and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat, available now. You may have heard of the podcast Juicy Scoop. Wondered what it is? Why aren't you listening? Well, I'm its host. Created it, been doing it for seven years. I'm Heather McDonald of Juicy Scoop with Heather McDonald. Now, I could tell you why you should be listening to my show, but my listeners wanted to write the ad for me, and here are some of the things they said. Not your regular Juicy podcast. Catch up on all the juicy topics from Hollywood and pop culture to true crime and beyond. Heather McDonald's Juicy Scoop always has great guests, great laughs, and great gossip. It's a comedian's take on the hottest headlines. Juicy Scoop is the pop culture news you want to hear. No BS, no filter, no filler. Raw, real, and in the moment. Throw in the hilarity of amazing comedians that you'll instantly be obsessed with, a juicy crime story, and a dash of normal life in L.A. moments, and you've got yourself an amazing week of Juicy Scoop. Two episodes every week, every Tuesday and Thursday. It will never let you down. What if you could become stronger, more resilient, cure disease, and all you have to do is get naked in the cold and breathe? You get into ice water, and instead of, like, freaking out, you relax. It's called the Wim Hof Method, and Gwyneth Paltrow and Justin Bieber love it. I do the ice plunge because it's good for your body. But there's also a dark side. How many people have died doing the Wim Hof Method? We can override even death! Listen on the podcast Infamous. That's Infamous, playing now. And let's get back into it. So I know you had to shed many tears when you were giving birth to this first record, this record that became this soundtrack and this movement 
of so many women at the time because it was a woman movement. It was like you and then, then, and then, then. And it's like all of y'all were dominating our psyche with these powerful anthems, this new flavor, this new sound, real musicianship. Like it was real people playing real instruments. And we didn't have that a lot in the 90s because the 90s was getting a little heavy sampled and things were going in another direction. And Jill Scott comes on the scene and... The album is a perfect 10. The critics said it, the fans said it, and you in your 20s, when you wrote and released this album, it's full of your thoughts, your tears, your joys, your sorrows. What would you say to the young woman who wrote those songs? This doesn't sound very good. I think I would probably tell her, it's a better idea to keep your anonymity, baby. I would probably tell her that. Wow, why? Because and, I'm a and writer. What does that mean? Okay, because you're a writer. Okay. Because I'm a writer and I'm also a voyeur. I love to watch people be people. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. one of the most exciting things I could ever do. And no Me matter too. what country I'm in, I love Me it. Too. Love it. Love yeah. it. Yeah. And it changes things when you are now the person that everyone is looking at. You know? Mm. So you lose some of your anonymity. I loved riding the bus. I tried it, you know, after my first album came out, I tried it. And I've tried it since then. It didn't work out the way that I hoped. You know, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I just wanted to not lose that part. You know, I do miss that part. Um, but this is what happened. Can't go back in time. <laughs> you know, I'm very grateful for being able to make that album. That album took me 27 years of life to yeah. make. 28, really, years of life to make, you know. Um, That was not an accident. I did not plan it, but I hoped for it. You know, I called every producer that I had ever heard of in Philly, and Mm. nobody answered me for months. Really? Um, (laughs) Yeah, about six months, nobody said anything. And then one of them, Jazzy Jeff, happened to see me on the street. He was talking to a poet I know named Rich Medina. And he was like, who is that? He said, that's oh Jill God. Scott. He Are said, that's serious? Jill Scott? <laughs> and then he called me and I came and nobody would work with me. Uh, I just wanted to go in as a writer because that's, you know, that's my thing. That's what I love to do. Would you have written that album, Who is Jill Scott, for someone else to sing? That's a tough one. <laughs> I don't know if I like somebody enough, (laughs) (laughs) you know, if I like somebody enough. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. But that's the only way to be anonymous though, right? Yes. Or like Sia, you know, she's got her hair Uh, in front of her face. Like, you know, (laughs) I love that for her. She can go to the bowling alley and chill. Yeah, you're right, because we don't know what she looks like. We have no idea. And I hope we never find out for her because she sings beautifully. You know, so I, 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 that'd be awesome. Now, you could have worn like a ghost face mask or, you know, some type of vibe. <laughs> like you could have done it, but you didn't do that. I think we're better because it was you. Aw. I think I we're better I'm humans. I better because it was me. Mm, come on now. Come on, I know come on. I, yeah, I know I'm better because of that. How, it's how never, has, nothing ahead, is I'm ever going to be go exactly the way you thought it was going to be. I know, nothing. I know, I know, I know. And that sucks. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, but it gives you something to work for. You know what I mean? Yeah. Gives you a reason. Like, okay, that was this is good. It didn't work out as well as I thought, but let me try it a different way now. Okay, and see if that works out. Oh, that worked out, but it, this part is now missing. Mm. Oh, okay, <laughs> this time, you know, <laughs> give you something to do, something else to strive for. No doubt, no doubt, yeah. no doubt. Did you have any regrets about being as open about love as you were on that album? No. No, okay. that's what we're supposed to do. Okay. You know, if okay. you're an artist, you're a writer, you have to release and you have to share. Other than that, what, what do you have? I yeah. don't know. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. That is very, very, very true. But I also wonder, how do you deal with that kind of pressure? It's because not only do we see you as this conveyor of real emotion and truth about where you are in your journey and in life, but also sometimes I think, especially back then, we put a lot of unnecessary pressure on you to also be this oracle of wisdom <laughs> for women. Like, you know, like there was a moment where everybody was looking at you like, okay, shh, she's about to speak and she's going to heal every woman in her presence. Like, did you ever <laughs> did you ever feel that pressure at some period in your career that people were looking for you to have these magical, like these little buzzwords to set everybody free? Yeah, I mean, I felt it, <laughs> I heard it. People would say a lot of things, but I honestly, it's like super important for me to release those things. I can't control what you think of me. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Even if it's good, you know what I mean? I, I can't control that. I know my intentions. I know what I was trying to say and trying to do and trying, you know, to be helpful and light in a space that may be confused or dark or um, because I'm going through these things too. Um, and then I, I think mostly I'm just so grateful to be able to let those things go, to not harbor these things. What happens when all you're doing is being concerned with what everybody else thinks about you? If that is the the breakfast, lunch, and dinner of your your day, like how are you going to be yourself? Yeah. How how are you not going to lose yourself? Yeah, yeah. You know, my grandma, my grandmother was Jehovah's Witness, and she always used to say that um, no man is above you and no man is beneath you. Mm. And I hold on to that. I don't. Mm. I'm not into. Um, elitist, yeah, and I'm, you know, I'm not into the extreme of anything, really, yeah. you know. But same here. That's 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 where I live. I'm right there. So I'm I'm not actually a celebrity in that way. I'm not looking to be a celebrity. I'm not. Fame was never my goal. Fame actually hurt my feelings initially. I was like, damn, you know what happened? <laughs> you know, when your reputation precedes you, it's a little challenging to just be where you are. Lady, I am in Rite Aid getting tampons. It's nothing <laughs> magical about this. <laughs> there's, there's nothing magical about this. I, I, you know, I mean, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> how did celebrity hurt your feelings? It just, it just felt like I was constantly being put upon. You know, like I'm not allowed to be where I am in this moment. And that's the best part of being my kind of human is to be alive right now. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I just felt I just felt put upon, but that's what you get when you grow up some more. Yeah. This level comes with time and wisdom and forgiving people for they know not what they do. Yeah. 
Yeah. You're assuming that I'm ready to sing a song because I'm in this place. But in reality, I need to hear this music tonight. I need it because something is going on in my life. And it's troubling me and it's keeping me up at night. And it took a lot for me to come here. And I'm here to mm. hear this musician sing this song. So I, mm. I'm I'm where you are. You know, um, just you're just not in my feet. How do you deal with that level of attention now? Now I just try to keep the conversation on the moment. Hey, <laughs> you know, they got uh, tied two for one over there. I'll get one and you get the other. And we'll split it. You know what I mean? Like I try to keep it. Did you have that corn away? It's so delicious. Did you have this? Did you get this? You should get this. Get Where does that a, come uh, from, Jill? <laughs> what? Where does that come from? Like, who taught you that this level of being so relatable and so touchable and so the anti-celebrity? Like, that's not a natural bent for somebody who has been blessed to see above and more than just the average American. Where did that come from? Just this being settled and having deep roots the way you do. I just genuinely do not like the antithesis. I, mm. I don't. I don't like that stuff. I like having nice things. I enjoy nice things. Mm. But a tub is more important to me than a car. I'm gonna get where I'm going. You know, don't worry about it. <laughs> I'm going to get where I'm going. But a tub is more important. So I'll spend a whole rack of money on a tub, but <laughs> not as much on a car. You know, I, I need a car for this a thing. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't need somebody to say, oh, you're qualified now. You know, you're special now because of this vehicle or because of these diamonds or because of this thing. I spend money on the things that I really, really enjoy. I value what I value. Does that make sense? You sound like you love socks. Like, do you love socks? Very colorful. I see. With I, I can look. I can look <laughs> in your eyes. I can look in your eyes and tell you love socks. Very colorful ones with messages. <laughs> I do. I love socks. I love a fuzzy sock. I love good blankets. I love beautiful flowers. I always have fresh flowers in the house. Several bouquets. They make me happy. You know, I like good sheets. You know, quality sheets and comforters. And I like the place to smell good. You know, so there's diffusers all over the place, little hidden ones, because I don't like cords. You know, it's pretty simple. I like kicking it with my kids. So, I'm, you know, yeah. I want to see what he's talking about, what he's dressed like, yeah. you know, because he's 13 now and he's probably the coolest person I've oh ever met. Gosh. He doesn't know it yet, but that's what's up. You know, oh my gosh, so, 13. Like, yeah. Huh. My grandmother said, be in the world, but not of it. I'm yeah. in here. I don't yeah. have to do what everybody is doing. Yeah. I'm here. And I, I love to write. I love to sing. I love to act. These things fuel me and exhaust me and scare me. Yeah. But they're also a very important part of my life that I enjoy. So I do what I love. When you were growing up Jehovah Witness, did you know of any gospel music? Did you listen to any gospel music? Oh, yeah. My cousin went to Deliverance in Philadelphia. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. So she I would remember play, that church. Um, I remember that church. Oh, my goodness. She would play some really great music. The 
first thing I remember being blown away by was the whinings. Mm, I can understand Man, why. Man, that going Cece and BB, and the whole whining family. The, yeah, it buddy. just blew my mind that a whole family could sing like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can't remember the who it was, but it was another song. I wanted to hear it every day. Better run in the house. Milton Brunson. Yeah. 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 Yes. I was like, yes! That, I mean, that's, that was Milton a one. I still get yeah. chills when I think about that song. Like, that Thompson Community was Choir. amazing that's to me. Um, now, now, was that cool for ahead. your grandmother? Like, was, was, was that cool yeah. for your... Okay, okay, so she was cool. There's you a lot about. of misconceptions about Jehovah Witnesses. Share that, with you. Okay, this is what I know to be true. I know that when we were going through a very, very rough time, that Jehovah Witnesses provided food for us. Mm. And when I say we didn't have any, <laughs> we didn't mm. have any. They would provide boxes and, and, and baskets and things like that that kept mm. us afloat during very, mm. very dark times. They're very focused on the word itself. Mm-hmm. The music is not, um, it's the lyrics that matter, not the sound. So it's its study. It's a lot of study. It's more the message than the feeling. It's mm-hmm. about comprehension. And I'm really, really grateful for having that time learning as a Jehovah's Witness. I'm really grateful for that. Mm-hmm. I know a lot of people are like, oh, they're a cult. I don't know about all that. I know that I got what I needed. And if mm-hmm. it wasn't for that, I don't know who I would be. Mm-hmm. But I had an opportunity to, there was a Catholic church across the street. So I would go over there and I would listen to the priest speak. I would follow the traditions, get on my knees, stand up again, get on my knees, really? stand up again. You know, I, I went inside the box to tell the guy my thoughts. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I went to the mosque. I spent time in the back of the mosque listening Mm -hmm. um, and studying as well. Um, Mm. I've been trying to get somebody to take me to temple, but, you know, guess they don't want my (laughs) black ass in there. I don't know. (laughs) But I've been trying for a while. Like, uh, yeah, rock with you. Rock with me. Can you take me to temple? And then I'll hear from them. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Let, me Let me know when you go, though. Let me know when you go. Friends. Oh, so there's this one thing. My chiropractor, devout Jewish man, I can't remember the specific kind of Jewish because there's branches. Yes. And he yes. said that once a year they say the name of God and it's like a song and it takes an hour. And I was like, can mm. somebody just please take me to temple? I would I love to hear I just want to hear, hear it that. one time. Me That's too. all I need. I would love to hear that. Jeez. Me too. But, you know, so, my philosophy is such that anytime man touches anything, taints it. Taints understood. it with his ideas, taints it with his needs. Um, and what I like to do is find the similarities in all of the religions. And I feel like there lies the truth. I hear that you talk a lot about prayer. What was it for you that made prayer this strong component of the architecture of who you are as a woman? Well, I've been happier since I learned how to pray for myself. Because when you're a child, you know, somebody teaches you how to pray. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. and you study by watching other people pray. Mm-hmm. Well, when I figured out for myself that prayer is not about, for me anyway, it's not about asking for anything at all. It's about being grateful hard. And sometimes that means that when you're in the midst of something that hurts, like words just can't. When you're in the midst of something um, that, and you say that you're grateful for that thing, thank you for this time. Thank you for this pain. Thank you for this this confusion. Thank you for this fear. Um, because you need that thing to go to the next place. It's all about uh-huh. honoring where you are, uh-huh. you know? Uh-huh. And m- those things get lifted from me when mm-hmm. I'm grateful for them. Mm-hmm. That I believe that nothing is for nothing, that all of the things that you end up going through for your benefit. Yes. If, if we're yes. talking about the God that I know, if, if we're talking about the guy that I know, um, it's everything is meant for your benefit. And when I continue to look at life that way, I'm a more joyful person. Mm-hmm. And I like that for myself. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. And you, have you found it easy to share your relationship with God with your son? Oh, yes. That's probably been the best ride of it all. Really? Yeah, that's been that's been wonderful. We've been sitting under trees with our shoes off since the beginning. Mm. You know, we, we, we swam naked for a long time together. Wow. Just outside, just happy, like, and grateful, grateful for everything, you know? Mm. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. You know, I am truly enjoying this conversation with you and podcasts can be such an intimate experience for listeners. And I am very proud of yours. What led you to start J.Ill, the podcast? I got some good girlfriends and I think they're smart and I think they're so funny and they're learners. So I'm talking to them on the regular and they're teaching me stuff all the time and making me laugh. Sometimes we cry real good. And I thought about the times when I was growing up and I had an opportunity. My mother said, if you stay quiet, you can listen. So Mm. I would find my little spot and listen to my aunts. I mean, when they talked the good stuff, they were talking the good stuff. (laughs) And I had a chance to listen to them. And that taught me a lot about life. And I thought, hey, maybe somebody else doesn't have, you know, the aunties the sister mm-hmm. women, the, the grownups, you know, that have come through some things and are still doing it, still coming through some things, still figuring yeah. some things out, still failing, still getting back up, still laughing and having fun, making love. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. that's why I created J.L. And I asked my wonderful friends, Laia St. Clair and Aja Graydon Danzler. We've been friends for 20 years. Those are some years. great names. And there's some great yeah. names. Jeez. <laughs> awesome women. <laughs> Wow. Incredible women. What is the best thing about hosting that show, Jill? Them, us. Like, they educate me every week. They help me through something every week. We we cry through something or laugh through something every week. It's the best therapy I've ever had. And to get comments and people leave messages for us and let us know that this this thing that was said, you know, touched a life, that it made them laugh you know, till they peed a little bit, you know, that kind of stuff. Like it, yeah, uh-huh. it, it gives me joy. Makes me really happy to know that. Pleasure. You know, there was a performance that you did. There was a moment when Oprah Winfrey did this show and she had you, I think it was India. 
And Alicia Keys. And, and Alicia. Yolanda Adams. And Yolanda Adams. You remember that? Yeah, I remember when she, I was on Oprah. <laughs> yeah. I remember both times. Very well. <laughs> and I just remember your smile filled the dog on TV. Like you were not intimidated. And this was your first record. So, yeah. you know, you were still new. You were still fresh. And I remember watching it. And I just remember how how comfortable you seemed and how safe in your skin you looked. And I think you said something about God is funny, ain't he? Uh, God is crazy. <laughs> you remember something like that you said? Probably. I, I haven't I, seen it in a long time. Did you ever know that you would also be marked by being such a magnetic live performer? It's because oh, people so. love your live performances. Oh, me too. <laughs> oh, me too. Oh, man. I just hoped, you know, I my mom couldn't afford a lot of things, but she made sure that I got a chance to see live musicianship. Mm -hmm. And that has been, you know, a, just a key marker in my life. I love to see musicians get lost and found. That just, that mm. thing just excites me. I uh. love taking a trip, telling stories. You know, I just found out recently, I did uh AfricanAncestry.com, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, yes. And I found out that my people uh, on my mother's side are Guinea-Bissau. Mm. And the Guinea-Bissau people are known for telling stories through song. And I was mm. like, that's fresh. You know, that's, you. Like, that's, that's, that's so you. fresh. That's so fresh. And they proud of so, you because you continue in that thing. Your live performances are, are now stuff of legend. Did you ever have one that even shocked you? Like, have you ever had a live performance that for you, you so were like- many. Give me one. So Tell many. me one. I think I, I was in the Tabernacle in Atlanta. It might have been funk jazz, if I'm not mistaken. And there was uh, uh, energy in the space. It was very, feels very much like a church anyway, but there was this yes, energy. Yeah. yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. There was this energy that night. And I, I, I remember... I dove in. It was an odd dive, but I dove into the music in this, I don't know, like a ninja would, I suppose. It was a very odd angle, the way that I came into the music, and I lost and I left myself. And it, it felt like the, the bricks in the building were vibrating. It was, it was otherworldly. I've had mm. many, many experiences like that. That's mm. that's a drug I like, baby. That's a drug <laughs> I like. I feel you. I'm telling <laughs> that you. I feel, I feel you. I feel you on that. I feel you on that. And as a poet and a songwriter with such a strong voice, who are some of your favorite artists making music right now? Mm. Steve Lacey is a favorite of mine. Mm -hmm. Thundercat mm. is another Clearly, like Robert Glasper and her, um, our favorites, oh, Jasmine Sullivan. <laughs> um, I like Tyler, the creator, so much. And man, yes, yes. Uh, uh, Kendrick Lamar and, of course, yes. the wonderful Beyonce. <laughs> I think she's wonderful. Did, did you go crazy when you saw your response to her concert be like this viral meme? I love that <laughs> they loved it. <laughs> I, yeah. I wanted them, it was a message to them. 
I wanted them to know that that's how I felt, that that's uh-huh. what that level of artistry and um, excellence, mm-hmm. dare I say, did to me. That was the visually, vocally, costumes. It was it was everything. It was like it was, somebody had <laughs> like snatched my face back and and opened my mind. It was it was fantastic. So when Beyonce mentioned you on that Renaissance album, like how did you feel to hear that? <laughs> she <laughs> just snarked. <laughs> <laughs> I love. I love a snorkeler. I answer somebody who just gave you. A, I love it. I love it. Didn't I start off with? Huh? Like that's kind of how I felt. Oh my god! You're so um, cute, man. But that's how that's how I felt. I just felt like like <laughs> I said, love it. Huh? I just love it. Like thank you, thank you, Miss Beyonce, who works so hard. It works every harder than everybody else. Everybody <laughs> else. Wow, Everybody yeah, yeah. else. Thank you so much for acknowledging this little light of mine. I appreciate it. Hmm. Jilly from Philly, this has been fantastic. You got to let us know what you're working on next, what you're doing. You want to know what, what Jill Scott is doing? I want to know whatever you want to tell me. Okay, because in this current space, <laughs> um, I'm remodeling my bathroom. Come on <laughs> and, now. Um, I love it. I love it. It's driving me a little nuts, but I'm remodeling my bathroom and my son is on punishment and <laughs> he'll be all right. <laughs> he'll be okay. You must we'll, learn. We'll, we'll be praying for him. We'll be praying his right. strength. He's all right. Um, I'm I'm in the studio. I'm I'm creating. It's been <sighs> Very, very grateful for the things that are coming out of my pen right mm. now. Very, very grateful. Mm. Um, it's been fun, but I'm getting it in pieces. It's like I'm making a really big meal for everybody to get full, but I'm only getting a certain amount of onions at the, at a time. I'm only mm. getting a certain amount of garlic at a time. And I just have to wait and be patient for it. Because mm. when it comes, it's like whew, it's this this explosion, and I have to sleep for a day, like mm. like you know. Wow. Um, so that's that's how the writing has been, and that's how the singing has been too. It's a different voice. Um, I I like her. You know. That's that's where I am. And see y'all now. She got my eyes watering. Uh, eyes watering, my eyes watering. Oh, I'm it going on me- tour too. I'm going on Are tour you? next year. Yeah, I'm going to finish the Who Is Jill Scott tour because I wasn't able to finish it. So, you know, while I was on that tour, COVID hit. Um, but we were doing Who Is Jill Scott. It was the 20th anniversary, so we were doing it. You know, from top to bottom, it was a love wow. fest. People were just singing along. They know every word. They know every pause. They know every break. And we were having the best time, and then COVID hit, and that stopped. So I thought, you know, in order to to get my feet um, mm-hmm. wet again, I'm mm-hmm. gonna mm-hmm. go out and and do who is Jill Scott, kind of remind people uh, what they may have forgotten, and then I'll um, I'll put out new music, and 
Yeah. I love They're, it. They, they kind of live together, This the first album and this album. Oh. Yeah. Now, I don't know how you are doing that, but I'm going to be a student because I would love to be able to tap into the passion of the first record and, and for it to flow over into a new record. That's brilliant. That yeah. is brilliant because there's a level of purity in that that cannot be denied. Thank Ladies you. and gentlemen, please, please help me thank uh, one of the greatest ever do it, Trailblazer. Uh, one of the first to introduce us to what the beauty of music can be from a voice and a storyteller that we'd never heard before until she came on the scene. From Philly, y'all, Jill Scott. Wow, thank you, Queen. Thank you so much for having me. So thank y'all so much for listening to Good Words, man. I hope you are enjoying yourself. I hope you're man, enjoying the journey that you're taking with your boy. And if you are, please do me a favor. Leave a review on your favorite podcast app. Can you do that for me? I'd appreciate it. And don't you forget, you can never go too far or you can't come back home. Good Words with Kirk Franklin is a collaboration between For Your Soul Entertainment, Sony Music Entertainment, RC Inspiration, and something else. Produced by Janicia Francis with senior producer Danielle Jones-Wesley. Associate producers are Danya Abdel-Hamid, Rachel Chodar, and Kyra Esabe-Bansu. It's executive produced by Ron Hill, Reese Brooks, Sarita Wesley, Tom Koenig, Hybrid Agency, and myself, your boy, Kirk Franklin. This episode was mixed by Calvin Bailiff, and special thanks to Charlie Yador and Steve Ackerman.